Hello, I'm Father John Downey, and you've reached the Miracles Among Us podcast. Um, I'm an Orthodox priest, and I was raised Protestant, and I converted to the Orthodox faith. And in the particular Protestant sect that I was raised in, the Reformed Presbyterian Church, uh, which, you know, they did a lot of good things, but they also taught officially that there were no more miracles being done on the face of the earth. Now, fortunately, my parents didn't believe that, and a lot of the Reformed Presbyterians don't believe that, but that's the official teaching of that particular sect. And the idea behind this particular platform is for you, listeners, to have a place where you can tell your story about how God has affected your life in a miraculous way. Sometimes that might be a small uh, what other people would think, people who aren't faithful, would be a coincidence. Other times it's a dramatic, obviously uh, direct intervention by God himself in our lives. And this is a platform for us to, to proclaim the glory of God and to proclaim the reality of God. Because so many people in our day and age don't believe in God because they think God is an abstract idea or some God far away from us not a God that is personal, not a God that is active, not, that a, not a God that is right beside us. So this is a platform uh, primarily for Orthodox people, but for anyone, for Catholics or Protestants, or, for, or anyone who has had a miracle uh, in their life to contact me. Uh, you can contact me at miraclesamonguss at yahoo.com, and you can tell your story. This is Father John Downey, and welcome to Miracles Among Us. Um, I have a few things to say before we get started this week, because we are we have very limited time, and the last week's podcast, I think, was, was extraordinary, but I didn't do it justice, because I'm not the greatest at translating on the fly like that. My brain does not work like that. It was a little bit too complicated to find someone else to translate for us, so I missed some things and I was not, didn't have time last week to edit it. So I'd like to go over very briefly, but importantly, over some of the miracles from last week. The first miracle was with Father Constantine and uh, his spiritual father, Father Nicodemus Bujor, who was a priest monk who became a monk at uh, um, Chernica. And I didn't do such a great job at translating the first miracle. So the first miracle, Father Constantine was at Father Nicodemus's uh, dwelling because he, he he had to leave Chernika Monastery to be taken care of because he was old and ill. And while he was there, uh, a lady called. And when the lady called, she said that, you know, Father Nicodemus, please pray for my, my, my mother because uh, she's been dismissed discharged from the hospital in order to die. She's in a coma. And she even had a tube, not just a breathing apparatus, but a tube down her throat, um, or at least down her noses, she had a tube. And so Father Nicodemus hung up, and then he said to Father Constantine, 
uh, and he knew this from the Holy Spirit. He didn't know this from information or from whatever. He said, that, look, you would need to go into uh, Bucharest and marry that lady who's in a coma uh, because she'll get better if you if you marry her. And she's not married. She, and she hasn't been married. So there's a very important piece that I, I missed or didn't translate very well. Another aspect of this is that uh, Father Nicodemus Bujor, um, he wrote the Akathist of uh, St. Kalinik. But I also know this from when I was in Romania, when I used to serve in Romania. Um, they say, they say that not only did he translate, not only did he write, excuse me, the Akathist hymn for St. Uh, Kalinik of Chernica, they say that St. Kalinik told him what to write. So that St. Kalinikus uh, uh, dictated, uh, at least in parts, uh, physically present, uh, the Akathist hymn to, uh, to St. Kalinik of Chernika. So those are two pieces of information that were very important. A little bit later, I also spoke about uh, there was a man, uh, the second miracle of the wedding, where a man was uh, crippled and he got they got married through the church, and then he became. Then he, and then he was no longer crippled. I mis I misunderstood uh, what Father Constantine said because um, I said that he he got up after ten years of being crippled, but his but he still needed to be changed. Uh, but but that's not the case. He did not need to be changed anymore. So he was he was he was able to get up and around, and no longer needed to be changed. You know, uh, with you know, with hygiene. So he was able to take care of himself. That's a very important uh, piece of information that I miscommunicated. So that we're not trying to make some highly polished uh, production here, but I will try to speak a little more, more slowly and clearly. So forgive me for that. Um, but with that being said, we have a very interesting, very beautiful um, podcast today. We have a special guest which we were hoping to wait further into the series of podcasts to bring this guest in. And, and, and we'll have one guest and I also have a, a letter and email someone has written me a long time ago on my request by my request. And, but the first guest is actually uh, my wife, but I'll let her give you a couple words about uh, her and who she is. And then I'll let her tell you this, probably the one of the most amazing miracles that I've heard of, uh, in my in my life, so um, Presbytera Camellia, uh, why don't you give us a couple of words about yourself, and you can tell us about an amazing miracle that you experienced in your life. Hello, Father. Hello, every everyone. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, so I will uh, start um, uh, describing a little bit the context and um, so who I am. I'm uh, I'm Romanian. I was born Orthodox, um, and um, I um, uh, was born in uh, in Ploiești, uh, close to to Bucharest, and I study university in uh, in Bucharest. Uh, my parents, uh, Maria and Alexandru, um, they were um, decent uh, people, let's say. <laughs> Uh, but not from the beginning. So here you will hear, um, will hear the story of my father. Um, my mother, she was 
uh, faithful, but uh, during communist time, uh, she worked three shifts in a big chemistry plant in my uh, hometown. Uh, and uh, she was very, very busy. Uh, she uh, didn't go to the uh, church every Sunday, um, but she uh, truly believed in, in God. Um, the one that uh, instilled in me and my sister the faith in uh, Jesus Christ, in Holy Mother, in, uh, of course, in the church, was uh, my aunt, my father's oldest sister who lived together with us because she got polio when she was eight years old during the Second World War. She was a wonderful lady. She was, uh, she has, uh, she had a very strong faith. Um, she was a very good example for, uh, for us. Example of um, uh, faith, courage, and uh, mercy towards the neighbors. My father loved her, um, his older sister, and respect her. But you will see when I will start the story that um, sometimes he was uh, harsh on her too. My father uh, and my mother, they um, uh, met, they married two weeks after they met. Uh, and uh, shortly after they met and they marry, um, my father starting to cheat on my mother. He was a very handsome man. And sometimes uh, he wasn't necessarily the one who chased the women. There was also like women chasing him. Um, and um, he used the house as a hotel. He came... Um, like in the nighttime, eat, go to bed, and most of the time, eventually enter in arguments with my mother, who was actually she was she was quiet because she was afraid of him, um, and um, he wasn't an uh, alcoholic, but he was a kind of man who drink every every day, uh, but he uh, knew his limits, and always he refused to have one more. Uh, cup with um, drink when he, he felt that um, um, actually he would be uh, um, drunk. Uh, he was very good in his profession. He was an electrician in the same big uh, um, plant like my mother, uh, but he uh, his job was uh, um, uh, much easier than my mom because he worked only in the day shift from seven to three. Um, since he was a young uh, a young boy, he was playing uh, soccer and he was very gifted. He was very good. When he was 18 years old, um, he was recruited for um, uh, to play in one of the best uh, team in Bucharest. Uh, was... Uh, Din uh, to be honest, I'm not sure it was Dinamo or Stella, but for Romania, they know that this was uh, like the first league, um, like of uh, soccer uh, clubs. But at that time in 1950, the soccer player, they didn't do money. So they just get their regular salary. 
So it wasn't a uh, thing, a big thing like playing in uh, in Bucharest in one of the first league uh, uh, teams. So he went to Bucharest, but he couldn't adapt because of the noise. He came for a Valea um, Calugarasca. Virij was was uh, he's renowned for um, good wine. And but was very quiet. He in the morning he heard birds, but in Bucharest, uh, starting with five o'clock, he heard the tram making the noise, and um, and actually he couldn't adapt. He preferred to come back to his uh, uh, home um, uh, town uh, to play in the like the third division uh, team. And uh, to work as an electrician for um, for the uh, uh, this uh, plant fact factory that I already told you about. So um, his life was between uh, um, uh, the soccer and um, very little of the family. As a father, me and my sister, we've always felt that he loved us, but he did he did spend just very, very few time with us. Our best time was uh, during the summertime when we always uh, had um, vacation together. And uh, we went to different resorts in uh, Romania for uh, like two weeks. This was the uh, uh, best time as a family when he also uh, was with us. He was a very intelligent man. Uh, he was a very honest man, actually, all the people in the little town knew him because of the soccer, of course, respect him. And all, he, they always talk, you know, with respect about my father. Um, uh, he was polite. He always keep his word and he was very merciful. He gave always money, food, drink to, to the, uh, you know, homeless or poor people. So there were so, some qualities in his soul that probably God used to pull, to fish him um, to, to the faith and to the church. So when uh, Tataya Sandu was uh, younger, did he go to church? Did he believe in God when he was in this phase of his life? No. he. Um, so when, when I talk with him, when he uh, got sick, he remembered that the, his last communion was when he was a kid, probably like eight, nine, ten years old. And he never went to the church. He never fasted in his life for a day. Uh, he never confessed. He never took holy uh, communion. He didn't pray. He didn't, didn't believe in of God. Of course. He, um, I, I cannot say that he didn't believe in God. I think that... Um, I think that he believed that God exists, but um, uh, unfortunately, um, he used to swear, unfortunately in Romania, um, and he, I know in Greece and Bulgaria and Russia, it, it's like, it's quite uh, it's strange because these are Orthodox countries and more faithful than many Western countries, but people used to swear about God and about holy uh, mysteries, and this is uh, considered in um, in the church is considered is if you put the sins in categories is considered a sin against the Holy Spirit. That my father became aware 
after. And I will come back when I will start the story with uh, about this. Yes, so he wasn't uh, church goers. So he uh, we, he with with the soccer he became successful uh, starting as a uh, players, but after that he was a coach, he was a referee. All his life was around the the um, soccer and around other women than my mother. So when he was like 50, 52, he got sick. He started to have pain in his um, um, feet, very, very uh, acute, uh, uh, strong pain. Um, and he, he went to uh, see a doctor and uh, the diagnosis wasn't a good one. The diagnosis was um, a peripheral artery disease. We, this is what we I found in English. In Romanian is arterita. It's um, actually the artery in the feet, they are blocked and the pulse, uh, it's very low or sometimes your pulse could be zero. My father had for one foot like zero point something pulse and the other one in the end, he didn't um, get any pulse. So the uh, pain are um, very, very um, bad. I remember one time I was a kid. I remember him screaming during the night. It was after midnight. And I went in our garden and I took some leaves of cabbage because I read somewhere uh, in, a, in a magazine that this can help. And I wrapped his uh um, foot in this uh, uh, cabbage um, and um, he tried all kind of treatment for uh, almost five years go to different resorts trying different um, like uh, uh, allopath treatment but also alternative treatments um, did he go to doctors at this time did he go to yes always medicine? yes always he went to the doctors um, always like um, um, following the, the treatment that the doctors gave it to him. But he has friends and he knew about the disease. He knew that the future is very dark because in the end that um, uh, usually the toe, uh, toes, they uh, uh, kind of having a, a ulcer and a, like open wound. And in the end, this gangrene, 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 and uh, they first the first stage is cutting the toe, and after that, advancing, and most of the people they they cut the the leg till they get to the amputate. Yes, the the worst part of the disease uh, is amputation. So he he told us when he was scheduled for uh, to amputate his toe he told us he's not going because he knows that the next will be to cut more and more. And he said, I prefer to hang myself than to be, you know, let them amputate my. And how, how old was he when this was happening? 52, 53? 50, 52, I, I should make a calculation, but this was like uh, 50, 52. Um, so after um, he was like, hopeless in that moment. So 
I was in college. I was in the fourth year in college in Bucharest. And um, um, also like the year before I was uh, like discovered Elder, Elder Cleopa and his uh, guide for confession. So I told my father, look, you know, most of the time the disease are, you know, it's happening to us because we are sinful and you are a very sinful person. I'm sorry to tell you this, but I think that the, what you should do is to go to a priest to have a real confession, a confession since we are young. And um, if I'm not sure that the priest will give you the Holy Communion right away, maybe he will give you a penitence, like a Greek canona, like, you know, for a, in Romanian is canon, for a period, and maybe after a while, he will allow you to get Holy Communion. But I add, if you if he will give you Holy Communion, just believe that you will take Jesus Christ, because in the Holy Communion, Jesus Christ, and he has the power to heal your disease. This is what I told my father. He thought at that time, I try everything. I try all the treatments that the doctor gave me and nothing worked. This is my last chance. So, had, just sorry to interrupt, but he also had other family members that were with the church, right? I mean, you know, he had his, his sister and your and your mother had family members that were with the church and he was getting encouragement to go to, to, to confess and to come back to the church from other people to a certain extent. Yes and no, because uh, I don't think that um, uh, the I think that the the for him because he loved his sister uh, his sister and let me go back and explain how bad was my father. So this episode it's important to understand who was him before his he he changed one hundred eighty degree. So one time he came back home, of course as usually, and he started to swear on my mom. And um, his sister told him, who are you? How are you there e every time to go home, you know, to make scandal? You want everybody to stay straight in, in front of you because you are like a general, what, whatever. And he was so mad with his own sister, but he couldn't hit her or swear on her because, you know, he love and respect her. But he was so mad, he took the plate from the table with the food that mom put, just put food on, on, on the plate and he threw it away on the window. And the next, he was still angry. During Ceausescu time, we didn't have water, so they, they uh, turn off the water, you know, during the day. So every family has buckets to save water, you know, to drink, you know, to cook. So we had one of these buckets with water and he took the bucket and uh, pour, you know, uh, toss, uh, toss it on the, on the floor. So this is uh, like a pictures to understand him more, uh, along with the women and, you know, what he was doing. So um, coming back to my discussion with him, so he, he respect and his sister, he saw his sister all the time in our apartment praying, going to the church. And I'm sure that actually his conversion, conversion to the, he, he was Orthodox, but his repentance and transformation was because 
also of my aunt and his sister prayers. She she prayed for him all her life, and I, I'm sure, and she was praying after she went to 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 God. So um after I told him about this, he asked me, I don't know how to confess. And I told him, look, I have this book for Elder Cleopa, is a list of you know all possible uh kind of sins that somebody can commit in his entire life. Just read it and make your own list. And I will bring you because uh, next week I told him the uh, Advent, the uh, fasting for Christmas is starting. And uh, I said, oh, you will fast with me. Let's fast the first week and go after the first week for confession. I have to mention also that he never kept one day of fasting in his life. In our family at the time, we always um, fast on Wednesday and Friday, like my aunt, my uh, us, and my mother, and the first week of the uh, um, uh, Lent and the last week of the Lent. This was how we knew at that time. But he never fasted. So, and um, he read the list. And after he read the list, to be honest, I think that this was the most beautiful and the first time when he repented. He he asked me, do you think that God will forgive me? Because from this list, so it was like 300, I don't know, 60 something, 80 uh, possible sins that somebody can do it. And um, because he said from that list, I did everything, but I didn't kill somebody and I wasn't homosexual. He said in the rest, I did everything. And I encourage him, giving him examples from, um, um, you know, uh, saints whose life was initially like very sinful, like Saint Mary of Egypt, uh, Saint Moses the Black, uh, even Saint Mary Magdalene. And um, after I told him all of these stories, he, you know, was encouraged. So he did, he was like a child. He did everything that I told him. He fasted and we went together for confession. I didn't know if the priest will, will give him communion because usually after such a life, uh, you know, priest gave you a canon for, you know, several years, uh, several months or sometimes years when you cannot get communion and you have a special like canona for prayers and so on. But so, but he was he was uh, slated for his foot to be amputated. So the doctors had said on such and such a date we're going to amputate your your toe or your foot or yeah. what was it? Toe, his toe or his foot? He was the toe was black, didn't have any uh, any blood circulated in uh, that toe. Was uh, with the gangrene. Mm -hmm. And he was scheduled for the operation. Yes, he was scheduled. He was scheduled in uh, in Ployest, um the. Hospital to, to yeah, but he didn't want to go. So he was very determined not to go. So uh, we went. He confessed. He he filled many <laughs> pages with uh, his sins, and he confessed. And I'm sure. And he was um, crying when he confessed. 
I saw him many times crying after um, he became uh, aware about his fallen state. I truly believe that the grace of God touches heart in that moment. So um, the priest gave him um, Holy Communion in that day, right away. He didn't eat anything in the morning. It was Saturday morning and he got communion. In the same day, when we came back home, I saw him um, praying the first time. I'm sorry, I'm um, still uh, emotional because I just revive and I see my uh, father like he's in front of me. So I saw him praying and he was standing in the front of the icon saying nine times uh, our father, he was crying. This was a moment one week after his first communion. That week after communion, he started to pray. And that, and um, one week after the Holy Communion, his wound healed suddenly. It's now like medical or physical explanation how a limb that it's black, no blood, no blood activity in the tissue that was scheduled for amputation was totally healed. Not only that he didn't lose that toe, but he started to be healed, to have color into the skin, like was healed, everything. After he saw this miracle on, on his own body, and the, but the transformation, the first was his soul healed. He started to go to the church every Sunday. He has a small uh, like a prayer mat that he always uses it in the morning, in the night. He asked me for a prayer book. I gave him a prayer book. He wanted, I, I bought him a Bible because he, want, he wanted to read Bible. All his life, he, he didn't stop reading every day from the Bible. He pray every day in the morning, in the night. It didn't matter how tired he was. He always he had his routine. And from that moment, he started to keep all the fasting period to go for confession regularly every uh, 40 days. This was like, you know, in Romania, like people, most of the people, religious people go for the confession every month, once per month, or every at least every 40 days and get communion. Not is, People don't take communion every Sunday, uh, at least at that time. So he started to get communion like every 40 days to confess, to, re to pray. He started to read uh, spiritual books and uh, to have a special devotion for Holy Mother. So the next year, I invited him to go together with me in a pilgrimage to meet Elder Cleopa. Um, because actually, the list uh, of Elder Cleopa with uh, sins saved his uh, life. 
So he didn't uh, thought, uh, he didn't think twice. So he said, yes, I'm, I'm coming. And we went together and he was very, very um, happy. And um, so um, in the end also he went to, it's a monastery in Romania. They have the same uh, um, like um, regime, re regime. Uh, like uh, rules, like in uh, Mount Athos, no women are allowed, uh, but the monks also build a shelter and a small chapel for women, like one mile uh, down from the mountain. And my father went to this, we went together and he was able to go to the monk uh, monastery up in the mountain. And he also confessed to one of the priest monk he used a book, a special book, and confessed him since he was seven years old. So, uh, and he, from that moment, he went in many pilgrimage with a uh, parish priest from his uh, uh, hometown. So, so for who was seven years old? I didn't, didn't quite understand that part. No, he, the the uh, priest monk who confessed him. Who confessed he, your father? Yeah, used a book that helped him to confess all possible since since he was seven since he, he oh, was okay. seven Sorry. because we consider in the orthodox church the kids are starting to confess around since seven years. about yeah. seven years when they start to become aware what it's wrong and what it's good so when uh of course if somebody would have told my mom that my my father would transform like this she will answer, no, this is not possible. You are kidding me. My This man uh, will never, never change. He's so bad. But when my mother saw how my father was full of zeal and going to the church, praying home, like starting keeping all the fasting period, as I, I told you when I was a kid, we we were keeping fast only Wednesday, Friday, in the first week of the Holy Land and the last week. But now my father started to keep all the fa along with me because at that time I was like also was my time and I became more more aware. I was all all the time since I was a child. I was in the church every Sunday, me and four old ladies during communist time. But I didn't understand anything from the Orthodox faith. It was just a genuine faith that I got it from my aunt. So he started along with me when I was in Bucharest to keep all the fasting period. And my mom said one day, oh, this bastard will get ahead of me in the heaven now after he had such a, a terrible life. I have to keep up with him. And she started she started to keep all the fasting period, also to go for confession, to, uh, to get communion. So this is how God worked, that um, his, God saved his soul, but also made my mom to be closer, uh, you know, to to God, to the church. And uh, when my uh, when my um, um, father uh, met Father John, he Father John wasn't a priest at the time; was in the theological school. Told him, John, I was such a sinful person. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm so thankful to God um, that he gave me this disease. I have to mention that several years after he was healed with this uh, um, 
peripheral artery disease right, or so PAD. Not, so not only was his toe healed, but that that disease. Yes, I. Uh, of the disease. Yes, yes, you, you, uh, good. Uh, you make a, a very good uh, uh, point, Father, because I forgot to mention that that year, this when the miracle happened after the first communion, um, that the next summer, I brought him. Uh, I knew a doctor in a medical, like a military hospital, that was considered at that time one of the best hospital in Bucharest. So I knew this doctor and I asked him to introduce us to the best like doctors for his disease. So I brought my doctor and he was checked by two specialists in the military hospital. Both of them, one of them was a cardiologist and are, are you know, with, you know, with all this uh, cardio, uh, arter, arteriopathy, whatever is the name in English, disease. And the other one was a neurologist. So both of them, they said, no, he doesn't have any sign of this disease. So that disease just disappeared. Didn't He didn't have any sign. And later, I don't remember exactly how many uh, years after, um, four, five, six years after he was healed, he was diagnosed with a blood, blood disease. And at that time when he, I was referring a little bit before when he told Father John, I don't, uh, you know, I'm so thankful thankful for this disease. He was referring to the second one when he had like a kind of blood cancer. It's, 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 it's a form of leukemia, quite, yes. quite so. It's a form of leukemia with a lot of um, um, uh, trombo, uh, pellets, uh, pellets. It's in English. It's Palettes, uh, yes, thrombocytes too. I think. Yeah, yes, and um, uh, so he, he, and he, he told Father John, "I don't think that when I will pass away, I'll go directly to heaven, but I am asking God to, after He will keep you, keep me a while in the hell, to bring me to heaven, because He said I did a sin against the Holy Spirit." against the Holy Spirit, actually, I when I swear, you know, against Jesus, against the Holy Mystery. Uh, but he, he, he was positive. He had hope. And um, also his desire, many times he told us that he would wish and pray to have a quick um, death because he doesn't want to be a burden for anybody. A burden. A burden yeah. for a, anybody. So... And this is what happened in uh, in um, October 2016. While I, we moved here, he in um, he started to have pain, and uh, the ambulance came, and um, uh, in uh, 20 minutes he was uh, dead. Terrible pain because was uh, one of the main. Uh, uh, artery that irrigate the stomach was strangulated and it's uh, has a name but I know the name mesenteric um, inf uh, infarct is in Romanian mesenteric uh, like a, a stop like cardiac stop but it's for the, this artery um, and um, what was amazing uh, at his uh, funeral a lot of uh, homeless, a lot of drunkards came and um, stay hours close to his coffin 
and uh, telling uh, uh, my uh, my sister and telling me that he was so good with us. He always gave us food. He always gave us money. Sometimes uh, he bought us a beer. And um, yes, and it was, was very nice to see that people, you know, it, uh, there was refreshing for us to heard all of these stories. Well, I think I, w- I wanted to say for a while too, it's important for people to remember or to understand that the Valley Kalugaraska, which actually means uh, the monks, the monks' valley, uh, was a small town. And Father and and and, and Tataya Sandu Alexander um, was a popular person, so the whole community knew him. So they all knew his former life, and they all knew about the they all knew about his illness. They all knew about the miracle, and then they all saw him at the church every Sunday. So this was like this was like a very public. This was a very public miracle that that affected the community and 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 bore witness to the power of God in in Valley Kuluraska. That was this was a very uh, important event. Yeah, actually, and I, I'm sorry, but also uh, Alexander told me the story. Camelia, my wife, told me the story. His sister, uh, her sister, told me the story. Uh, uh, their mother told me the story. So it, this was a very it was an acknowledged event that helped that helped the whole Christian community. Yeah. So actually, uh, all uh, his uh, former buddies were like making fun of him, saying, "Oh, what what is wrong with you? Now you are a monk. You you are with the popes now. Popes like with a uh, priest." Pope, like Popa is a, is a Popa. kind of a derogative word for priest. Yeah. Actually, he was a while when he became like the first, like the right hand of the uh, priest in his uh, uh, town, you know, was like a kind of uh, uh, parish council uh, president, let's say like uh, for, uh, you know, in America, you know, when the, the first time when I saw him um, washing the uh, the windows of the church, I was crying because my father never washed a dish he never did everything in anything. anything in our home. When I saw him, you know, working for for God for the church was like incredible. You, you know, only when you knew a person and you see that the transformations was one hundred eighty degree, you can realize how powerful is God, how He can change lives in just in a second, and how. The bad, the things that we consider bad in our life, actually, they there are a blessing from God. They save our life because, as uh, it proved to be, the, those two diseases, they were sent to God uh, from God to save His soul. So, and um, to be honest, my father became even my mom was faithful all her time, she was in the church all her life, he became more more profound, more spiritual than my mother. So he understood God. He's like in, you know, because it's like in the St. Mary of Magdalene, you know, because he, he who is forgiven much loves much. Yes, exactly. So, and um, it's something that also I, I would like to say 
um, my father starting to pray for all his friends, for all the drunkards, all the homeless people. He had a list in his prayer book. He had a big list with names of all the people he knew that passed away, neighbors, friends, relatives, you know, colleagues from, from work, everybody. And every day, two times per day, when he after he said his prayers, he prayed for those people on each name. So I'm sure that uh, one of his episodes when he uh, had uh, he got a um, stroke, one time he got a stroke. It was on a, a Saturday of the soul, and it was a big stroke. And my mother went to the church with the Koliva and asked him, you, you don't come with me? He said, no, I don't, I don't come today because I don't feel very well. So when my mother came back from the church, uh, she found him on the armchair. He was unaware. He was like, you know, uh, vomit, yeah. vomit on his clothes, but he wasn't able to, to speak. But we, you know, retrospective, we thought that in that day he was saved because of the departed soul he was praying for now for many years because it was, was a Saturday of the soul. So he survived another like um, maybe four or five years. No, no more, more than, than four. That? Yeah, more than this after this, uh, this stroke. And uh, he was okay. He came back very okay. He had another stroke. And after that, the final stroke, he lived another uh, three, four years and he passed uh, because um, these are the, like the consequences of this uh, leukemia. You, you don't die because of the disease itself, but because of the complication that the disease created. Um, yes, this is a story of uh, my uh, Lazarus, <laughs> my my Lazarus father, and um, um, about uh, how uh, how God and how you know uh, holy communion and actually holy confession, repentance work. Yes, and uh, that is not uh, it doesn't matter how uh, sinful we are. Is, there is no sin to be not to be forgiven, only the sins who are not repented. And my father is an example that a sinful person can be not uh, can be uh, forgiven by God and can would come close to God, but through repentance and confession and uh, holy communion, and he lived his the rest of his life like being a church person. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for uh, telling the story. I didn't, I didn't intervene too much because I've heard the story many, many times. I, of course, spent many years with Alexander and was able to hear it from his own mouth and to see his example. And, you know, if, if anybody wants to, to pray for him, I'm sure that would be, that would be great. But I'm sure that he was, is in heaven uh, inter and hopefully interceding for us. And um, so that is, that is a real, event that affected many many people for the better and displays the power of god so we thank you all for listening i'm going to uh, finish up with this particular event and i think if we have time 
I will also read to you an email that someone uh, sent me a, a long time ago when I was planning on uh, setting up this uh, podcast. So hopefully that was inspiring to you all to, to not give up, to, to seek uh, healing, spiritual healing from the Lord. And this miracle I just was thinking about when my, when my wife was uh, talking to me about it. Um, it actually follows the healing pattern that we see in the gospel so often that, you know, someone admits their sin, they confess their sinfulness, they confess God as king, and then they are healed. It's not always the case. There's different variations, but that's the, that's the predominant method. You know, people confess their sin or they ask God for help. They, they admit that they're, they're sinful, and then uh, they confess Christ as king, and then they're healed. So anyways. Thank you. Thank you so much, Father. It was an honor for me to be here and to tell you the story of my father. Thank you. I'd like to thank uh, my wife, Presbytera Camellia, for telling her very personal but uh, authentic story. And now I'd like to do something which we haven't done yet, uh, which is to read an email that someone uh, sent in to me. Now, I did have to translate this myself. Um, I changed some of the times and the, and the you know the dates and the names uh, because this is this is an amazing uh, this is an amazing event here that took place and um, I really kind of stayed on this person to to uh, to write out their account. They didn't really want to write the account out, and I really had to let's say harass them. You know, not the legally defined word of harass, but I really, I really had to put some pressure on them to actually sit down and write this out for us. Um, they wrote it out quite a while ago before I, before we put this podcast in motion. And um, I just want to say that uh, I know this person very, very well, and I and I really respect this person. I would trust my life with this person, and I would trust even the life of my children with this person. So uh, this is this is this is kind of un the the email is kind of understated. All right, so I'll just give you that. So I might pause and explain things a little bit um, as we go through because I know about because I heard this uh, a few times from this person before I, I uh, before we had them write it out for us. <clears throat> the title of the email is going to be or is. Mother Anastasia. I'm Orthodox, married with a few kids, and like to visit Orthodox monasteries. I told Father John about this event many years ago, and at his insistence, I've tried to type it out the best I can. I've known Father John for many years now and consider him a close friend. Over the years, my family had found one particular monastery where we go to confess, so we visited there regularly. Like many monasteries in Orthodoxy, this particular one has a real connection to holy people and even some modern saints of our faith. At this monastery, there was a nun that was more interactive with the guests than most of the other nuns. That was her obedience. She overlooked the bookstore and was always there with a kind word or a story of a saint. I was a lot younger when I first started visiting, so I always had a lot of questions about the spiritual life. She was always very gracious, and we would speak at length, but only about spiritual things, never much small talk. She would also 
often bring out coffee and some cookies or cake for us to eat or recommend a good book. In fact, years and years ago, as she explained to me some aspects of a miraculous working, uh, I'm sorry, of a miracle working icon that the monastery had, the icon displayed that miraculous aspect as we were speaking together. Uh, to make it easier to tell the story, but at the same time keep the details anonymous, I'll call her Mother Anastasia. I would have given more details about the miraculous icon, but again, that might make it too clear which monastery I'm speaking about, which isn't the point of the email. Life's circumstances changed, and because of the job situation, we had to move away and were not able to get to get there often for about a decade. The years passed, and we had to confess somewhere else, which was also an unbelievably wonderful church. In other words, uh, I guess where they started to confess was also a wonderful church and a great experience itself. In this manner, we stayed with the faith and hopefully have grown stronger in it, but that's for God to, to decide. Eventually, fortunately for us, I had an opportunity to move within driving distance to our beloved stomping grounds, and we began to frequent the place again. So after a few years of being back in the general area and reestablishing our relationships, we journeyed to make our confession and would stay a few days as usual. Since we lived a substantial distance away, still, we loved the nuns there and the priest, but we weren't that familiar anymore with all the ins and outs of their daily routines and issues. We finally arrived at the monastery once, right before Vespers, which was always beautiful. So we parked and I hurried into the church. I walked in through the beautifully sculpted doors and one of the first nuns I saw was Mother Anastasia. Our eyes met and we greeted each other with a deep bow as Orthodox do, not saying a word because the beginning prayers had already started at Vespers. I noticed that she was wearing a blue habit which was not typical. Usually for services, monastics wear a more formal cassock that is very black and not the blue one used for when, mon when, for when monastics are at work in the fields, cleaning, etc. I was a little I was a little surprised by that. Everything was always very precise in this monastery. Gentle, but precise. We stayed through the service, which was wonderful as always. After that, we went to the trapeze for dinner. Now, at this particular monastery, the guests eat separately from the monastic community. This isn't uncommon, neither is it always the case. There was no reading of the lives of the saints because we weren't with the nuns. Someone prayed over the food and our family sat down and we began eating and talking. There weren't too many visitors and we didn't know any of them, so it was just my own family at our whole table. After a few minutes, in, wa in walks the monastery's priest, our spiritual father, a noble and joyful soul of around 70 years of age, all white hair. We were glad to see him, and he joined us at the table, which was a great honor for us. We had never seen him in the trapeze before, and we've never seen him there since either. We began talking about this and that, and our spiritual father started talking about Mother Anastasia and how she had had cancer and had fallen asleep in the Lord a few weeks earlier. 
I was taken back and I said in an almost contrary voice, out of shock, but I just saw her at Vespers. The father was also shocked himself and with a very slight smile said, well, anything is possible. In the general confusion, our spiritual father left rather quickly without saying much more, but I couldn't grasp what just took place. He probably didn't want to cause a scene or want the others and the trappers to hear what we had been saying. In fact, it seems that they were in deep, that they were deep in their own conversation and hadn't overheard anything. I hadn't even known whether Anastasia was ill, let alone terminally. I couldn't wrap my wrap my mind around what I had just heard. This was the discussion for the rest of the meal, but we tried to talk in quiet tones. I had just seen Mother Anastasia, looked into her eyes. Our eyes met. She bowed. I bowed. I walked right by her, not even three feet away. I didn't feel any overwhelming grace or presence. It was just natural, just a typical, completely normal interaction. Over the course of the next few weeks, this event was in the back of my mind, but I hardly told anyone about it. I told just one parishioner at the church I attended, who I asked to keep it to himself. Yet, since this seemed too unbelievable to me, I started to plan on speaking about it at confession and speaking about it to the abbess, who is also a very good nun. In fact, I probably spoke that weekend about it with my spiritual father, but I'm not exactly, but I'm not exactly sure when the conversation took place. What I'd like to stress is that I'm not a model Christian. I believe in Christ and his church. I love our Orthodox faith, but I have all the same problems everyone else does. I have problems at work, with the kids. Sometimes we have marital issues. I'm not the kind to stay for hours in prayer. I've read the miracle with St. Nectarius and the atheist when the atheist had a long talk with St. Nectarius after he had died, but I had never dreamed or even wanted anything like that to happen to me, although I've always believed that these things were possible. I started to think, well, maybe there was another nun that looked like Mother Anastasia. Maybe she had a sister or something. Eventually, I had a more planned out dialogue with my spiritual father, who saw firsthand the spontaneity of my reaction. The advice was not to think of it too much, not to disbelieve, but realize these things do happen. I also spoke to the abbess, who has who also has a lot of spiritual experience. I asked her if there was a nun that looked like Mother Anastasia. She said there was not. I was expecting from both of them to tell me I was mistaken and to forget about it. But the abbess, who I have known for quite many years now, said that she had always been a little scared to die until Mother Anastasia died. So uh, let me interject here because I talked to this person. What they, were, what they were trying to say is that the abbess herself had been afraid of death. But when she saw what happened with Mother Anastasia and how she died, she realized that God arranges everything. So I'll go back to the letter here. When Mother Anastasia died, she saw that God arranges everything, absolutely everything. And now that fear had been taken from her. She also told me to pray for Mother Anastasia. Neither the, neither the abbess or my spiritual father 
who are both very spiritual people and new saints of our church. Neither of them tried to dissuade me of what I experienced. The impression was, yes, this happened. Don't make a big deal out of it. For me, the absolutely deciding factor that this was a real event in my life is when, after some time, we visited the monastery again to confess. During this visit, I strolled up to the monastery cemetery to visit Mother Anastasia's grave, which I try to do now every time I go. There it was. Absolutely clear proof as far as I was concerned. This time, there was a picture of her and the small glass box with a burning candle. There is now no doubt in my mind that this event was real. For me, it is just a small token of God's mercy showing me clearly that he really has conquered death and all the things the church teaches are true. Although I did not feel any outpouring of grace or joy when I had this experience, I should mention that not long after this event, the most difficult trial of my adult life took place. It was very hard for me and my whole family, and it lasted for quite some time. During the powerful trial that followed, it was very comforting to look back on that event and to recall just how real and powerful God truly is. Thank you for your time and for listening to my story. Please keep me in your prayers, although I will not leave my real name. I'm sure God will know who you are praying for. Signed, one who wants to be a Christian. So, I thank you for listening. This this uh, letter, email that I got in my wife's miracle with her father, were things I want I wanted to keep later on in the series, but uh, we're just starting out and it's somewhat difficult to get organized. I'm also going through a very busy time right now. So um, uh, I think these were I found these both incredible and comforting and helpful. And th again, they don't always have to be so amazing, right? So if you have something that's not quite so amazing or a coincidence, feel free to, to, to write us in, to write it into us and to make contact with us. But may God bless you. May he keep you safe. And uh, hope, I hope that you found these, uh, these uh, podcasts spiritually, spiritually uh, beneficial. So may God bless you. Good night.